I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello, members of the Sudden Valley Neighborhood Association, and welcome to your monthly e-bulletin. This month's pictures of cats dressed as single-term U.S. presidents are courtesy of Abby Schimmel, BT Dubs, James A. Garfield. The cat is adorbs. More lasagna, please. Oh, love that one. Okay, brace yourself, everyone. Halloween is just around the corner, and so a few reminders. We will be meeting at 7 a.m. on November 1st to negotiate the release of captive yard gnomes, remove toilet paper from trees, and scrape the charred excrement off of Mrs. Davis' porch. Becky and Bob Longwell will provide coffee, cider, and hepatitis B vaccines. (laughs) Now to candy distribution. Caramel apples, while delicious, will go through a window like the Nazis through Poland. So let's stick to fun-sized candy bars. Nothing that will cause any real damage if used as a projectile. Decorative gourds are also discouraged. The uh, Emerson boys are back from their trip to Juvie. And while all children are miracles, these two would shank their own father for a popcorn ball if they knew who he was. Okay, anywho... We're hoping for a few volunteers to assist Mike Danner in tracking the boys' movements. We can't be certain as to what fresh hell they've planned for us, but let's just assume it will involve gasoline, a crucifix, and a former Blackwater munitions expert. Okay. Um, base camp this year will be at the Coopers. Meet there at sundown for Rice Krispie treats and pepper spray. One final note, we do need to rein in the annual party on Alberta again. As we all know, that place is a haven for scary clowns, would-be pranksters, and women who use Halloween to dress like sex workers from the Enchanted Forest. It's, it's... the use of decorative gourds this time of year. Tonight, author David Gooderson, actors Bitsy Tullock and Silas Weir Mitchell of NBC's Grimm, and musical guest Tyler Stenson. That's tonight on LimeWire Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Courtney Hommeister. And you also have more comedy from Faces for Radio Theater to look forward to. Poet Scott Poole with What I Learned Tonight, wherein Scott sits in our audience and in just one hour, the time it took Jack Kerouac to get his mom's permission to go on a road trip, Scott writes a poem that encompasses all the lessons he's learned tonight. And of course, music from our house band, Ralph Huntley and the Mutton Chops. Thanks, Ralph. So I told you earlier that David Gooderson is here. 
And he's brought his book, Ed King. And what Ed King is, is an updated version of Oedipus Rex. Um, yeah. <laughs> and in it, uh, Oedipus is now uh, an internet millionaire in Seattle. The book spans from the early 60s to 2017. And one of the things that Ed King believes is that he will achieve immortality once the singularity occurs. And that's when human and digital intelligence converge. And it got me thinking about digital versions of ourselves. Adam Ostro from Mashable.com gave a TED Talk last year about this exact thing, our web afterlife. How through social networking, updates, tweets, blog posts, we are actually collectively creating the largest archive of personal information in the history of the world. And that information will live in the cloud, virtual heaven or digital hell, however you look at it, forever. And what he believes is that as technology improves and computers become more intelligent, they could conceivably create digital versions of you and me, robots, holograms, that react like us and would live on after us. So, yeah, immortality is a great idea. Um, Everybody wants to live forever, but do we really want our social media selves to be what defines our eternal legacy? (laughs) Imagine a world filled with holograms and robots who spout Facebook updates. Hey, Digital Carol, uh, how are you today? I am so grateful for my family, you guys, seriously. Yeah, I I know, you, you said that yesterday. Live today like there was no yesterday. I, I don't even know what that means. Anonymous said it. Oh, great, you're quoting Anonymous again. That's good. You know what? I've got some great news, you guys, but I can't tell you for two weeks. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm going to punch you. So the deal is our virtual selves are generally nothing like our actual selves anyway. Like, I went through my digital timeline to see what my last three posts were. Number one, that last piece of pizza finally filled the bottomless pit of despair created by my distant father. Not sure where to put this brownie now. Number two... was true at the time. Number two, I never work too hard to get the stamp off my hand after an event, otherwise there's very little proof that I ever leave my house. And number three, if I get one more apology email from Netflix, I'm just going to assume we're dating. Hey everybody, it's Snarkbot. Nobody wants to hang out with that person. I mean, there are people in our lives who spout nothing but snark like that, and they're called tedious jerks, right? And as much as I love the people in my life, I don't want some cold, soulless version of them hanging around, continually reminding me that they're gone, although I have dated people for whom it it would be very difficult to tell the difference. But the main reason that we don't want our digital selves living on while we don't, though, is... The best parts of ourselves are what we do and not what we say. Taking a bottle of gin and a voodoo doll and a tiny little flannel shirt to a friend who just got dumped by a drummer. (laughs) Paying for your brother to get his power suit cleaned for his 20th job interview. And getting the spice just right in the chicken soup for your sick daughter even though she's so stuffed up she'll never be able to taste it. A hologram could never do any of those things. So as buggy as this whole death 1.0 program is, I think we're stuck with it for now. At least until they perfect the cloning plug-in. Our musical guest tonight is a singer-songwriter with three full-length albums under his belt. It's probably not where he keeps them. But he's also got lots of accolades from Northwest music organizations like Best Male Artist and Songwriter of the Year. His music blends folk, Americana, and bluegrass, and he recently spent some time in Nashville, but he has returned to the Northwest to work on more music and developing a case of seasonal affective disorder. His most recent record is Another Gleam. Please welcome Tyler Stenson to Livewire. There's only one thing certain in this life 
If you breathe one day, you will die. And you can only hope they'll show up in a line, making sure that your memory is soaked in wine. It's a great man's funeral. His passing is one bitter sweet parade. Well, I do believe you're gone before your time, and that my days in your sunshine were fine. The education gained along the way was good as gold, and all of its accolades. It's a great man's funeral. His passing is one bitter sweet parade. Oh, and somewhere on this great timeline, I'm confident they'll call this a golden day. Well, I'm a better man for bleeding almost dry. My bag of bones is a medal of that pride. But I can't believe we lived to tell how we survived because it seemed to me we starved for forty days and nights. It's a great man's funeral. His passing is one bitter sweet parade. Oh, and somewhere on this great timeline, I'm confident they'll call this a golden day. There is ever one thing certain in this life It's that if you breathe one day you will die But look at them all standing in a line Making sure that your memory is soaked in wine It's a great man's funeral His passing is one bitter sweet parade Somewhere on this great timeline I'm confident they'll call this a golden day It's a great man's funeral And his passing is one bitter Sweet parade But the simple fact that I knew him when Will long and always be my claim to fame Thank you so much, appreciate that Thank you Hey Tyler, welcome to Livewire Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you on the show. Um, so that song was called A Great Man's Funeral. Yes. And when I listened to it, I assumed it was about a funeral, and so I was appropriately bummed out. Um, but I, then I heard that it's not actually about a funeral. It's so a bittersweet parade. <laughs> right? So what is the song actually about? Has anybody in here ever seen the duct tape wallets that uh, spanned Portland for quite a while? Well, that's my brother's brainchild, and um, I was the right-hand man for that whole thing. So you saw me at Saturday Market a million times in one. And um, in 2008, with most other companies, um, we had to take a little nap for a while. And so uh, we threw a big party saying uh, so long, and uh, tons of people showed up to soak us in wine and whatnot. So Great Man's Funeral is actually about a, the company, um, 
uh, taking a break, but it taught us a million and one things. And he's still making wallets, right? Uh, he actually um, tried and tried and had some good, good traction, but he, um, he ultimately in his gut said, I'm going to take a longer break than I expected. And <laughs> Here's the thing. Right now in our country, we have nothing to put in them. Correct. So I would just say have him wait a little bit longer. And it's, you know, it's not him, it's us. He, he's a great man. <laughs> you know? It's not him, it's Congress. Yeah. He, yeah. he recognized that trend. <laughs> um... Well, you were just talking about you and your brother, and I read that you grew up in Wyoming. Born in Wyoming, but I have lived in Portland since, uh, excuse me, I grew up in Westland, but um, uh, since first grade, so. Since first grade? Yeah. But you went to Nashville um, for about a year, year and a half? Fifteen months. Fairly recently? Yeah. And that town is just known for birthing great songwriters. Yes. So what did you learn about songwriting when you were in Nashville? Um, I learned that it is the epicenter for a reason, in terms of, um, I write... Uh, in my 12 years of writing, I've written 106 songs, and I know people who have written 400 songs a year in Nashville. Wow. And so I, I, I found that it deserved its name, and it, it, it lived up to its reputation. Um, Did you find that after you were in Nashville for a while that your style of, mu- of music had changed? Were you more bluegrassy or sound I, more I found I got to the point quicker. Um, LAUGHTER uh, I, I didn't get more twangy because of Nashville. I've always had this Wyoming bone in me. Um, yeah. But um, I, so I didn't get any more twangy. But I found that my my uh, my thesis statement, you know, <laughs> went <laughs> then and there. I used to write five minute songs, and now they're three minutes and thirty seconds. And it's you know, it's great. Get in, get out. Yeah, right? yeah. It's it's it refine, refines your craft very very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. It's it's you know people's attention spans are getting shorter. So I think you're on the right track. <laughs> Believe me, they are. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> well, uh, it's been wonderful having you, and we're going to see you later in the show. You're going to yes, play I one do. more song for us. Tyler Stenson, everybody. Thank you for having me, everybody. I appreciate it much. Thank you. Music tonight is brought to you by Dave's Killer Bread and the Bread of the Week, Good Seed. You know how in the bad seed that weird girl in the pigtails did all that mean stuff? This is the opposite of that. This is nothing but whole grains, omega-3s, and fiber. That girl was weird. Dave's Killer Bread, making the world a better place, one loaf at a time. Well, thanks for walking me to my door. That is very old-fashioned of you. Well, like I've been telling you, I am old-fashioned. That is what you keep saying. <laughs> um, did you want to come in for a while, or...? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on there, Elise. Are you freely inviting me into your home? Well, yeah. I, I thought we'd have some ice cream or something, like... Elise, I was afraid this would happen. Remember when I told you there was something different about me? No. In my ad on OkCupid, I was said I was different. Okay. And it was up near the top, underneath the roguish good look. Yeah, you know, never mind. Um, so, here's the thing. And this may come as a shock to you, Elise. Elise, I might be a vampire. What's that now? Vampire. And I think a pretty good one. Okay, a vampire. Uh, Don't be alarmed, Elise. I won't hurt you. Oh, I won't be. Um, Can I ask why you think you're a vampire? Well, firstly, my skin. Okay, notice how it shimmers. Okay, even in the cold black embrace of Mother Night. Uh huh. Well, I use Jergens shimmer lotion. In demonstrations, no other skin shimmered and glistened the way mine seems to, with the Jergens. Okay, is there anything else? Or Vampires there... surround themselves with valuable art, okay? Uh, I myself have a dazzling collection. Really? Whom do you collect? Thomas Kincaid, painter of light. <laughs> Has long been a favorite. And I just happen to have a few choice prints I picked up at a going out of business sale at a Days Inn in Bellevue. The good Days Inn, Elise, near the freeway. Okay, all right. 
Do you like to suck blood from another person's neck or body? I like to think of myself as a vegan. Okay. You ate a hamburger for dinner. I'm immortal, not consistent. Okay. Have you ever turned into a bat? Yes. When? Sometimes. All right. Do you sleep in a coffin? Well, sometimes I sleep in my Volvo. Does that count? It's really, really boxy. Okay. All right, one last question. When you look into a mirror, do you not cast a reflection? Is that a thing? I mean, is that like a vampire thing? Yeah, it's kind of a well-known thing. Really? Okay, then yes. I do not cast a... Can, can you repeat the question? Wow! You're not a vampire. Oh, you just read the Twilight series, didn't you? Totes. All right, I'm going inside. Elise, I can't oh. promise you much of a future. But I can promise an amazing sexual experience. Nope. Uh, And I will cook you breakfast, but I will also break your heart. That I promise, for I am a vampire. Elise, you're free now. I won't allow myself to bring sorrow to your life. I'll I'll just leave now. Plus, my mom is probably wondering where the car is, so... That was Andrew Harris and David Ian on sound effects. You're listening to Livewire with music, conversation, and comedy. It's like a great date, but without the embarrassing realization that uh, you've been calling her by the wrong name the whole night. Coming up on Livewire, Silas Weir Mitchell and Bitsy Tullock from NBC's Grimm, author David Gooderson, poet Scott Poole, and more from Tyler Stenson. We'll be right back. Americans seem to really love horror. True Blood, American Horror Stories, The Real Housewives of New Jersey. But NBC's taken a different tack on horror, and they've created a procedural cop show about Grimm's fairy tales come to life, and it's all set in the deeply, deeply green and mossy Northwest. And tonight, two of the actors from Grimm are with us. Silas Weir Mitchell, who you've also seen on The Mentalist, Burn Notice, My Name is Earl, and lots of other shows. And Bitsy Tullock, who you might have seen in Lakeview Terrace or House and various other shows. So please welcome Silas and Bitsy to Livewire. Welcome to Livewire, Silas and Bitsy. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. It's, it's wonderful to have you here. Now, I actually was able to uh, watch the pilot of Grimm uh, online, which is great. They're doing that a lot with shows now, where they're just offering it sort of ahead of time to the fans of the shows. And I think that's great, because it just starts that initial buzz a little bit. Did you see the whole thing? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, So, but for, for a lot of people haven't had the opportunity to see it. And so, uh, just an overview of the show. Um, it's a show about a homicide detective, Nick Burkhart. And he solves crimes, but he also keeps humanity safe from supernatural creatures. Because it turns out that all <laughs> of those creatures from Grimm's fairy tales are actually real. And he's the only one who can see them. He's called a Grimm. And Silas, you, you play Monroe, and you're the you're definitely the comic relief of the show. Um, quite funny right off the bat. Um, so as an actor, 
how do you prepare to play a wolf? <laughs> Spend a lot of time with your dog. Uh-huh. Um, it's interesting because, you know, the supernatural element is actually, in a way, it's sort of like, I like to think of it more on a, that it's a mythological kind of element. Like if you're a, um, a detective and you're a homicide detective and you're dealing with these horrors, you know, on a daily basis, you, you realize the sort of mythical depths of, of what people can do. And then you add the grim element in, it, and they say the Grimms were actually writing about real people, real terrible things that were happening. So in a way, the preparation I did had more to do with the mythical nature of the werewolf that we all have in us. Yeah. Like if, if Nick Burkhart looked at Son of Sam, he wouldn't see David Berkowitz. He would see the creature that David Berkowitz's human mask is covering. Right. And I kind of, I find that really uh, rich. Well, and it, I mean, it, and it's also the, the special effects on the show are so good. It was, it was amazing to watch it. It's funny because I thought of An American Werewolf in London when I watched it and just how far we've come in terms of special effects Yeah, it's then. unbelievable. The guy, Barney Burnham, right? Burnham? I don't know. What yeah, he's Bar- he's <laughs> Barney. Barney, you don't have to sit well, yeah, in the chair for four hours. Yeah. You, I, I don't have to wear a prosthetic. And yeah, so. you play Burkhart's girlfriend. Yeah, um, that he loves. He loves. Um, yes, <laughs> and you actually studied. You studied literature at Harvard. Yes. Um, and you've, you've talked in the past about reading those original horrifying Grimm's fairy tales, the ones that we sort of get the clean version, right? Yeah, we, we have what we're used to is a sort of mass-mediated child, children's version of the Brothers Grimm. But when uh, one thing a lot of people, I didn't even really know this until I booked the show and I started doing more research, but they weren't, they, they didn't write the stories. They were sort of cultural profilers and linguists and they... There were a lot of similar stories. There were a lot of European analogs, and they sort of synthesized all of the stories. And there were, at the end of the day, I think something like 211 fairy tales and 585 legends. So I always feel like if the show's successful, we could be doing this forever. Right. Um, <laughs> Plenty but, of source material. Yeah, exactly. They were really, really scary, and there were meant to be warnings against, you know, infidelity and sex and all this stuff. And they're gruesome and bloody and. Um, you know, the Pied Piper is, the, to me, the scariest one. Why is um, the Pied Piper the scariest for you? Because it's just, it's creepy. It's, it's, you know, the, the Pied Piper is the one that, from what I've, little that I've read, I haven't done, like, massive amounts of research, but the Pied Piper is one that has real historical um, underpinnings in the sense of someone trying to find guys to recruit people for a war. So it's this kind of, um, hey, come hang out. I'm going to indoctrinate you. <laughs> so it's, It'll be it's, really fun. Yeah, it's like, hey, come over to my place. We'll hang out. We'll have some beers. Go to war. Kill people for your country. That kind right. Of thing. Right. Well, and, and there is, um, as, as dark as it is, there is humor in this. And um, producer David Greenwald was, was also an executive producer on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And he's writing for the show as well? Yeah, they write with, he writes with Jim Kalf, who did Angel. So do you, do you feel like he's brought some of that humor to this show? Oh, definitely. I mean, the, the, the gallows humor is very present. It's, an, it's a very real part of the show because it's a real part of the life of, of you know, uh, a detective. You can't constantly, you got to go out and have a drink, you know what I mean? You got to go out and, you know, do some, you know, play tennis or whatever, you know what I mean? You got to crack jokes. You're, you're, you're dealing with cadavers in these, like you were saying, these horrible things that humans do that the Grimm's were actually dealing with. They were dealing with mothers who didn't love their children. They were dealing with, like, abductions. And then they turned them into stories, but these are real human behaviors that, yeah, you need to leaven it. Sure, absolutely. Well, and also, I think, you know, uh, David Benchley, who wrote Jaws... Um, Peter. Peter Benchley, sorry. Peter Benchley, um, I think he talks about that in terms of, you know, the, actually the best time to really terrify someone is right after you've made them laugh. Yeah, um. yeah, yeah. It goes both ways. Like, you want, if it's, there's a long period of tension, you want the laugh. Right. And if there's a long period of like, ha, 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 you can get in that door, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Livewire, and we are talking to Silas Weir-Mitchell and Bitsy Tollock from NBC's Grimm. Um, so you guys have worked on a lot of shows that are really grounded in the real world. So what's, what do you like about working on a show now that's, that's sort of, that has these fantastical elements? I think you're probably better to answer that <laughs> since you play a wolf. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I'm a veterinarian and I, I don't morph at all, so. Well, you actually, you, you had to shoot one of the more difficult uh, scenes that I thought in the film. You had to run through the Oregon woods at night in a really flimsy nightgown and it didn't look like you had shoes on. Well, I can tell you something really funny about that. NBC, and I caused a little bit of a fuss about it, but in hindsight, I get what they were doing. They had a, they got a stunt double for me to run, and it was like literally from this end of the stage to this end of the stage. So like it ten longer, feet. And I was like, guys, I know how to run. <laughs> like, <laughs> like really? No, no, no. You might sprain your ankle, but there are no, there aren't that many twigs. Like, I mean, I know I'm clumsy, but I'm not that bad. They had right. a guy for me to climb a tree. Yeah? yeah? Yeah, like three feet up a little tree. Uh-huh. They're just being very protective. Sure. Know? OSHA. OSHA, It was mostly guys. just very right. cold. Yeah. Lawsuits. They're lawsuits. everywhere. Exactly. They're everywhere. Um, but but when you t- the, the, the fantastical elements are really, really fun because, again, like I, like I was saying earlier, to me, it's about being able to live in a mythical realm where there's archetypal behavior and so you're allowed to kind of push into human behavior in a way that you're not allowed to do that if you're playing something that's absolutely real like based in the reality that we know because as far as I'm concerned monsters are real I mean you look at the world we live in look at Gaddafi man yeah that guy was a monster yeah and he's dead you know they killed the dragon and that's what Hansel and Gretel is about it's about kill the, the evil mother figure so that you can then live your own individual life and not have this thing over you. That's all real. Yeah. And in, in, when you do what they call a genre show, you're allowed to like play in that water, and it's sort of delightful, actually. It's you like Shakespeare. Do, you were doing an interview, actually, where you were talking about the power of suggestion, and we're just so open to that as, as actors in like kind of a way that's not always so fun. Right. Like when we were we were being asked about what, what frightened us when we were little and I had this this uh, thing where I, every time I was going from the first story of our house to the second story if the lights were all mm-hmm. off and I was going to I was convinced that Satan was chasing me up yeah. the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. Get yeah. me. And when you start running, you're done. Exactly. <laughs> Well, and it's interesting because it's got to be sort of freeing to go into this fantasy world. And I saw, um, it was Lauren Zelaznik from NBC Television, actually. And she was talking about how um, an, an increase in popularity of fantasy television shows always maps almost exactly to spikes in unemployment in the United States. And, and, and so it seems like you're doing for other people sort of what being able to create these characters is doing for you. That's really funny, because I didn't know there was any kind of empirical evidence to that effect. Absolutely. But I've said that in other interviews. I've said, people have said, because, you know, just the way you introed, you know, Once Upon a Time and uh, True Blood and sort of fantasy type stuff, that I think that people go back to myth when the real world and, you know, boom times. Let's make up stories. This is cool. This is crazy. This is interesting. And when it's dark times, it's kind of like myth is the way that the human species figures itself out through the stories that it has told itself. Yeah, for so, and those same stories yep. for centuries. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and the show really is gorgeous. It makes Portland look gorgeous. It's shot so beautifully. The cinematography is so beautiful. Um, and it's a, it's a great show. It does have humor. And, you know, every, people love procedurals, and it's great to see a procedural done in a different way. So um, definitely it's on NBC Friday nights. Um, well, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for stopping Thank by. For Silas Weir Mitchell and Bitsy Tullock of NBC's Grimm. Thanks a lot.
can't believe it, honey. Our very first house. Oh, Leonard, I'm so happy. It's perfect. Except, you know, for all the scary stuff the realtor said. <laughs> no, sweetheart. That's just a rumor, okay? I'm sure the house is fine. Get out. What, what, what was that? It sounded like somebody said, get out. Oh, Leonard, you don't think that... A ghost? <laughs> no, it couldn't be. Leave. Oh, my God. Now. Oh, my God. Sounds like a spirit, all right. You will die. I look, spirit, whoever you are, you can scare us all you want, but this is my house now, and as a proud Lakota, I will not move. Get Well, what, what'd you say? No, no, I, I am Lakota Sue, strong in mind and body, and you are not welcome. Ha, oh, okay, um... Boy, I did, not, I did not expect this. Uh, what? What do you mean? Uh, it, it, this this house it was it was built on an ancient Lutheran burial ground, and well. Oh oh. No, I see. And and you have a problem with us being Native American? Yeah, I mean, no, 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 no. God. Oh, okay. Um. I feel really weird about this whole thing. You know, I don't deal with you people a lot. Oh, what? you people? I'm what? sorry, what? What? what What do you mean by you no, people? No, I, I didn't mean it like that. I was just saying that, that normally, normally it's a white family that moves what? into this house. Oh, what? okay, so what? You're saying a Native American family can't afford a house like no, this? No, 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 you're twisting my words around, lady. God, this is awkward. Uh, look, 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 look. Why don't you just leave uh, us in peace, okay? Uh, believe me, I'd love nothing more than to get out of this conversation right now, but, you know, it's kind of my job to, you know, moan and wail and make the walls bleed. Oh, and... gross. I know. Tell me about it. I also have to move the furniture around and just generally scare you. Uh, where do you want this ottoman, by oh, the way? Oh, big white man scaring the poor, weak Indians. Is that it? Uh, no. Yeah, I mean, oh, okay. Uh, it's just that you're on our sacred ground. Oh, Oh, your sacred ground, huh? Well, tell me, how does that feel to have some strangers just come on to your sacred ground? I'm really interested in knowing how that makes you feel. Uh, well, uh, 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 it feels bad. Oh, does it? I can't imagine. Yeah. Oh, okay, I get, I get where you're going with that. Um, <laughs> look, you're upset. But you, you have to understand that there are spirits here I'm representing. Okay? Oh, yeah? And how did they die? Well, Frank Jessup, he got drunk and fell off his roof. <laughs> Even funnier is that he, he can't really remember why he wanted to get up on his roof in the first place. But other than that, uh, mostly natural causes. Natural causes, huh? Yeah. Well, you know what isn't natural? Having your people massacred, oh. given blankets infected with smallpox, being forced off your land into the cold. Uh-huh. Well, maybe I should just haunt you guys later. Oh, no, no, please, please. Stay. We would love to hear more about your emotional trauma. Uh, yeah, yeah, or maybe you could torment us like your ancestors tormented mine. Hmm? Um, no, you know, it just doesn't feel right. It feels really weird. What's the Even, matter, spirit? Uh, I just have some reservations about the what? whole... What? Um, no, 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 what? no, I didn't... I just, it was a word. Uh, I didn't mean it. Oh, okay, wh- God. What, what's the matter? Are, are, are we experiencing a little white guilt no, here? No, yeah, I mean, uh, look, I'm just super duper sorry about all this. Okay, how about, how about this? No more haunting. I, I promise. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna hit pause on the whole poltergeist thing, and uh, I don't know, maybe I'll get a transfer somewhere else or something. Uh, yeah, and in the meantime, I better not hear any crap about my drum circle on Thursday nights. Okay, well, uh, uh, would you do me a solid and tell your ancestors that, you know, we're cool and, and all? Because those guys are, they're probably still mad at me for, you know, everything I did to well, them. You know what? Why don't we just write up a treaty or something, you know, something you would honor, right? Those are pretty ironclad, huh? Oh, boy. That was Sean McGrath, Christian Ferguson, and Andrew Harris with Ghostly Effects by David Ian. You're listening to Livewire, variety for people who enjoy aural pleasure. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
Our next guest is a poet, an essayist, and a novelist. He has written five novels, including Snow Falling on Cedars, which won the Penn Faulkner Award and sold around eh, four million copies, somewhere around there. And it was also made into a film. His most recent novel, Ed King, is a retelling of the story of Oedipus in modern-day Seattle, where Oedipus is an internet millionaire with... He has a few issues. Please welcome David Gooderson to Livewire. Welcome to Livewire, David. It's wonderful to have you back. Thank you. So for people who aren't familiar with the Oedipus myth, um, did, did you want to give a quick overview of some of the things that happened to him? I mean, I think most Americans um, are, are familiar with it because you went to high school and or you went to college. Right. Um, and it's a staple of uh, the high school curriculum. In fact, I... Uh, I was a high school teacher for 10 years and taught, taught the play. Uh, and, but primarily what people remember about it or know about it is it's about a guy who kills his father and then marries his mother. Um, and he does these things without knowing that he's done these things. Um, and also people generally remember that there is a prophecy. Um, his parents have been told at his birth that these things will happen. He himself has been told uh, as a teenager that he's going to do these things. And I think the other piece of it that most people uh, remember from having read it as a teenager um, is um, that the, there's the presence of the gods, who are these divine agents who are, who, who are driving his fate. Yeah, so it's, it's weird because it, it, it's not actually fate. I mean, in, in some ways, it's, it is driven by something. Yeah, well, in the version as told by Sophocles, um, you know, and for the, the Greeks of the classical era, you, know, you, you have the gods. And in fact, if you're living in that time, as far as you're concerned, everything that happens happens because the gods make it happen. They've so, decided. Yeah, we don't have that in our time. It was one of the problems for me writing this book. I had to find a substitute for the gods. And that drove me into metafiction, fiction with an awareness of itself, fiction with authorial intrusion. The notion being that um, in the novel, ultimately it's the novelist who functions the way that the gods might have functioned for the Greeks. That is, it's the novelist who decides what happens. Uh, it is the novelist who's in charge of the fate of the characters. And so, uh, for better or for worse in the story, there's authorial intrusion. Yeah, it was the first time I'd ever seen you do that in one of your books, and it was uh, around two-thirds of the way into the book. You pop in at a very interesting moment in the book. Um, I mean, it's, it's, everyone knows that, he's, that he marries his mother. Um, and so there's a moment in the book when, when he's going to, he very possibly may get down with his mom. Exactly. And suddenly there you are. Right. I mean, the, the, you're two-thirds into the novel. And as far as you're concerned to that point, you're reading a relatively conventional novel of social realism. It's the novel as you're most comfortable with it, as you know it. Um, the author has dropped you into the fictional dream and done nothing to wake you up. You're immersed in the fictional world. You're comfortable. But you know that you're moving towards this very uncomfortable moment. And I, I know that um, as a teacher, I was always aware of the conjunction of revulsion and attraction that my students felt. And I think all readers of, of Oedipus feel towards this notion. It's a creepy notion. Um, and when I get to this you know, critical moment, I jar the reader awake by entering into the story. Was that something that you knew that you were going to do at that point, or was it the kind of thing where you felt like something needed to happen outside of the story itself? Well, I always knew that I was going to enter into it at some point, because, again, the story needed a divine agent. Uh, it needed authorial intrusion just to work. Um, and... Uh, I, and I always knew that it probably well it would have to be at that very moment, which is the critical moment in the story. So I did know it was coming. Yeah. Why? Why did you want to approach the story of Oedipus now and modernize it? Yeah. I. You know, the the, the it'd be reasonable to assume that if you write a story about patricide and incest, that those are your interests, that those are what drove you. But what. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, my parents came to a reading lately, and it was uncomfortable. But. Sure. <laughs> hey, Dad. But actually, the, the part of the story I, I was the most interested in was not the, not the fact of the patricide and incest, but the fact that, that he didn't know it. That is, he was blind. And blindness is an ongoing motif in the play. There's the blind prophet, Tiresias. There's the fact that Oedipus, in the end, gouges his eyes out, so he's now physically blind. Um, and there's an equation between physical blindness and inner vision in, in the story. It was this blindness to self, this not knowing, being ignorant of the truth about yourself so you that feel like interested me. That's something that's happening quite a bit in our culture right now? I don't know if it's contemporary or if it's sort of an ongoing truth about human beings. I think it's probably the latter. It's kind of just the universal fact. I'm sorry, note about the human condition that we're sort of condemned to blindness. But I did have a, to- a topical or more contemporary interest, and that is the primary constituents of the play and of the character ultimately are this blindness and this hubris, this overstepping, this overreaching. And I do think those are important concepts for us to be thinking about in terms of the contemporary American sensibility, like who we are in the last, but post-World War II. Blindness and hubris are words internationally that are used, you know, about us. Blindness and hubris seem to be themes worth exploring in the contemporary American moment. Well, and is there a reason why you made him an internet millionaire? Do you feel like there's a particular reason? Do you feel like that area has this particular problem more than other areas? Maybe not, maybe not more than others, but I think um, in the contemporary landscape, uh, you know, politicians continue to exert a huge influence on what happens, but these internet tycoons, people like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, uh, in the historical sense, are huge. I mean, they are behemoths. They are... They are the historical figures of our time in terms of the sheer impact they have on what happens to human beings. So I was looking for an analog, a a counterpart to Oedipus. I found it there. And there was another thing I needed, which is the story depends on prophecy. Um, And we don't have that anymore. You know, the Greeks had the oracle at Delphi, and we don't have that. What we do have uh, is click streams that are generated by us as we surf the net, as we spend time online. And that clickstream via these sophisticated algorithms generates a lot of information, not only about where we've been in the past or where we are in the present, but where we're going in the future. I mean, corporations and government use this massive amount of information about our clickstreams to make predictions about where things are going. And so we do, in fact, have a modern counterpart for the Oracle at Delphi in the form of clickstreams. And that's why Ed King is the founder uh, of an internet search company. And if you're just joining us, we are talking to author David Gooderson about his latest book, Ed King. Um, I, I spoke earlier uh, in the show about this idea of the singularity and that people really feel like there, there might be a way for us to, get, to continue sort of digitally. Um, which parts of your personality would you want to be eternal? <laughs> you know, the thing that interests me at the beginning of the show when you mentioned that uh, was... Uh, the idea that this social media presence that we have will go on in the cloud and there will be this sort of iteration of us that outlasts us. But actually, really starry-eyed utopian futurists uh, have a notion that's even more bizarre and more disturbing. So if you think about what's happening in neurology these days, um, where people who have paralysis can actually be helped via an interfacing of their, literally their brain, their consciousness, um, with, with digital technology. If you carry that to its natural conclusion, what you get is the day comes where your consciousness is literally downloadable. So you die, but your consciousness it can be stored. And ultimately, your consciousness can be then downloaded into another entity, say a robotic entity, which means you literally survive, not your social media, but you achieve immortality. So this is the sort of disturbing, you know, utopian, but I think dystopian version of the future that's out there. As far as what part of me would go on, you know, I really hope none. I just want to die and be done. (laughs) Great. It was interesting. I I, I thought at one point you'd have Ed King get LASIK or something, just to do a little tip of the hat. Um, uh, (laughs) The one, it's really interesting, just about all of your books are set in the Pacific Northwest. It's where you grew up, it's where you live. And do you find it interesting that this thing that that it feels like you believe is sort of distancing us from ourselves, this digital 
uh, world, so many of the sort of kings of it come from this from come from the Pacific Northwest, where you know people are are generally so close to nature. Yeah, I mean it's here and it's Silicon Valley seems to be sort of the birthplace of this thing, which is now you know international, and there are these flourishing centers for it all over the world. But you're right to point out, you know, Bill Gates was Seattle. Um, this, we seem to identify somehow the world identifies the Pacific Northwest, you know, with the birth of this this um, technology. And one of the things I had fun with in the novel, by the way, was the, the story is told by Sophocles depends on these two sort of city-states, Thebes and Corinth. And it, for me, it was Seattle and Portland. <laughs> and there's a lot of Portland in this book. There is, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's great. There were lots of places that I recognized. Um, well, it's, it's a wonderful book, um, and it's out right now in hardback. Uh, the book is Ed King. The author is David Gooderson. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Wire, radio variety for people who enjoy fun. If you live in the Portland area, please join us for our next live show on November 5th here at the Alberta Rose Theater. Guests include Daniel H. Wilson, the author of Robopocalypse, the New York Times bestseller that was optioned by DreamWorks to be directed by some guy named Steven Spielberg, Karen Carbo, acclaimed author of How Georgia Became O'Keefe, and Arthur Bradford, director of Six Days to Air, The Making of South Park. Plus, great musical guests, comedy, and more fun than we can fit into 59 minutes. For more information, visit our website at livewireradio.org. Once again, please welcome to the stage Mr. Tyler Stenson. The man I know's got the music in his bones He writes the songs but he can't stand rock and roll His name is on his right hand As he hides behind a wall Somebody's gonna make it But you know it better be a song Older brother, he's the dreamer of some dreams. Like he stretched out the gray and made it green. And I could see myself in him just a little bit too small. Somebody's gonna make it, but you know it better. Somebody's gonna make it, but you know it better be a soul. Somebody's gonna make it, but you know it better be a soul. Oh, little brother, you are not the only one. Just don't get burned in that Oklahoma sun. Trying to get to heaven And I'm just trying Not to fall Somebody's gonna make it But you know it better Be us all I'm a music maker Trying to make a dream But getting there is as endless as it seems So I'm 
Going to California Even if I have to crawl Because somebody's gonna make it But you know it better be a song When I get to California I'll be giving you a call Somebody's gonna make it But you know it better the man who has been writing for the past hour while we have been slacking to sum it all up for us please welcome poet Scott Poole what I learned tonight by Scott Poole I learned tonight that you need to be a bit skeptical when someone tells you they're a vampire. Sure, they might be pale and look sharp in a cape. They might even look like a sex worker from the Enchanted Forest. But until you have the two holes in your neck and start picking out coffins for no particular reason, you just can't really rush to judgment on a thing like that. I also learned that not everyone is haunted in the same way. Some people see ghostly Hansel und Gretels coming after them with cookie sheets when they move into a new house. Some people run screaming from purple curtains and track lighting. One time when I moved into a new house, the Smurfs emerged from the walls and I peed my pants, tripped trying to run two yards, and knocked over my collectible figurines of a mouse, a bird, and a sausage. My friends just spit beer out of their noses laughing at me. I learned tonight that I need a better thing to be haunted by, like uh, blind internet millionaires, for instance, who might have killed their fathers and maybe slept with their mothers and are kind of feeling guilty about that. Go on my yacht. Play tennis with me. Drink this Tattinger 76 now. The only trick is to look scared by these things, but yet still be welcoming to the ghost. God, I hate yachts. Ooh. Look, I'm crying. I drop, I drop. Please don't make me take another hot tub with supermodels on the Lido deck. Please don't. Yet when I die and become one of those undead, I wonder how good of a haunter I would be. I kind of like... Tyler Stinson wanted parade past a funeral. Maybe I could get one of those horrible one-man band setups and wear a wolf costume. That could be really scary with the bass drum and the knee cymbals wrapped around the knees with duct tape and a kazoo playing Girl from Ipanema really loud and fast and enthusiastically. I know I think I'd be cheering everyone up, but of course this would be absolutely horrifying. Nobody wants a one-man band to go on for eternity. Thank you. Scott Poole, that's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to our great guests tonight, Silas Weir-Mitchell, Bitsy Tullock, David Gooderson, and Tyler Stenson. The Mutton Chops are Ralph Huntley, Reed Waldsmith, and Jim Brunberg. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Dave's Killer Bread, and Burgerville, introducing Burgerville Radio, featuring music from Northwest musicians in all their restaurants. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, and listeners like you fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. The faces for Radio Theater are writers Sean McGrath and Courtney Hommeister, performers Andrew Harris and Trisha Ferguson, with sound effects by David Ian. Additional show writers are Jason Rouse, house poet Scott Poole, and Shelley McClendon. Faces for Radio Theater is directed by Jason Rouse. Our recording engineer is Jonathan Newsom with house sound by Scott McLeod. Production management by Drew Flint. Special thanks tonight to Rose City Sound. 
Show theme by Courtney Von Drele and Ralph Huntley. Our show photographer is Jenny Baker. Livewire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, please visit livewireradio.org. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast. 